0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 149, take two, for Monday, April 21st,
1: 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I am Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. How are you?
0: Did you, how could you do that to me? I'm sorry. I didn't have. I got to write the first time, and yeah, you got to write the second God. time too. All these things happen. But but you've been away, and and I've been away, and um, I have. Yeah, we are ready to just you know dive right into it here. But um, Dave, you you were away at a, a conference or a show or so, some sort of event here, and I think you have a uh, well, a little commentary related to remote podcasting. So uh, I do. Take it.
1: I, I had, uh, so I was at AdTech uh, in San Francisco last week, which was really cool because uh, we at Backbeat Media and, and by extension here at the Geek Cab are members of the Association for Downloadable Media. And last week I had the great honor of presenting our proposed standards for podcast advertising, essentially the ad units for podcast advertising, uh, the standards surrounding them uh to the uh, ad community as a whole so so i was i was i was very very uh honored to be out there to do that and and so i did monday night we planned to do this podcast And, uh, you know, I got I got in on Sunday night. I checked the bandwidth at the hotel. By the way, I got to stay at the Milano. You'll remember we we did the promotion with the Milano for uh, for Macworld Expo. But I wasn't able to stay there because we didn't have enough rooms. Uh, So I was able to stay there. Really, really nice place. Close to everything. uh, Happy to stay there again. I've already got my room book for uh, for WWDC. But by Monday night, the bandwidth was like every other hotel in the world it sucked it you know it went from latency of like 50 millisecond ping times to literally 1500 millisecond that's one and a half seconds turnaround so i would say something john would hear it seven and a half or uh, 0.75 seconds later and then whatever he would say would come to me 0.75 seconds late so it, it just wasn't working and uh, and the bandwidth was spotty. John couldn't hear me, but I was really excited because I'd, I'd gotten a, a road podcaster mic and I was going to make a big deal about how I was podcasting on the road on the road. Right. Get it, John. Mm. The pun. Right. That's nice, isn't it? And uh, I got it. OK, good. <laughs> and, uh, and I was going to use Ubercaster as well. Uh, and, you know, I did some testing with it. Ubercaster has come a long way and. I, I don't want to make any 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 huge uh, uh, commitments yet, but it's possible it could even replace the uh, the setup that we have here in the studio. It it really so. Well, it's a
0: is it a device? No, it's a, a piece of software. software. Yeah. So it's just software. Okay. Yeah. Like but, production
1: software, or recording, or it all in one. That's right. Yeah. It'll do okay. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it, it was very cool. Uh, but uh, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, to test it out. So uh, hopefully next time, certainly all my Austin trips, I'm able to do podcasts from the road because we have our office there. And, you know, we've got great bandwidth, hotel bandwidth. I, I don't know what it's going to take to get these guys to get it right. I mean, it's like way worse. It's like they have a dial up connection that they're sharing wirelessly in the hotel. I, 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 I
0: There's ways and to for, fix this. And for what mo- most places charge for a day yeah. or a week yeah you could buy a month or more like at home mm-hmm. so why don't you get the same whopping bandwidth and it's because they don't purchase enough Is is my guess absolutely they, they don't
1: purchase it and they don't shape it properly right i mean there's a lot of stuff you can do to limit individual connections in fact the place that we stayed that you and i wound up at the Palomar. Uh, for Macworld, they did some traffic shaping. They limited everybody's connection to 32K. And the same was true with the Monticello. Now, the Monticello, mm. which is under construction and essentially is no longer. It'll kind of have a rebirth, I think, later uh, this summer. Uh, but the Monticello did it right. They had enough bandwidth for everyone. They limited everybody to 32K a second. But it was a guaranteed 32K a second. No problems. And uh, even when the hotel filled up, no problems. The the Palomar did the same thing, but they didn't have enough bandwidth to, to give everybody 32 K. And so it slowed to a crawl. I, what it's going to take is it's going to take a major chain, you know, a Marriott, a Hilton, a Sheraton, something like that to just roll it out properly in all of their hotels to, you know, buy enough bandwidth, shape it the right way so that there is a standard that people can say, OK, that works. I'm happy with that. I can get that in every city that, you know, I travel to and then all the rest of the hotels are going to have to come up. So that, that's my uh, that's my rant yep. that I couldn't oh, afford to rant.
0: No, I'm with you because we we got into what I called Cylon mode because that's that's kind of how we sounded if you remember the classic or oh, yeah. even the uh, well mostly the classic show.
1: Yeah, that's the my new classic. Show,
0: you, you just don't know who is a Cylon these days. I mean, it's <laughs> 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 right. Yeah, that's true. Everybody's that's true. Uh, well, not everybody. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, but I'm with you because you know uh, you know at my nine to five. Based on what I know, we have these nice managed switches, and and you know one of one of the things you do is you say, okay, you know everybody cool it you only get this much bandwidth for one network connection that's That's kind of if you buy enough at the front end then it's usually not a problem but i guess you know some other places just you know put in a simple piece of network hardware and let everybody dogpile and fight for the bandwidth and that's just not the way to do it it sucks is what it does that's the uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah Uh, all right. So let, let's get into this. We've got a pile of stuff because, of course, we didn't do a show last week uh, as we've <laughs> as, as we've as we've exhausted here. I still have uh, whatever tickle I had the whole week I was at AdTech here in my throat. So we'll see if I last. I've got lots of tea and various beverages going here, hopefully keeping me uh, keeping me solid. Yeah. Oh, you got the pollen here, too. Welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is nice weather back here, at, back here at uh TMO Towers East here in Durham. Uh, You know, there is one other thing I I wanted to mention, John. Uh, Today is Monday, of course, which is the 21st. Uh, Not tomorrow, but Wednesday is a very, very special day uh, because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's your birthday. Is that right?
0: Mm, Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, happy early birthday, John.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a cool number. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It is a cool number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. If you like Hitchhiker's Guide. That's right. That pretty much it away if you've read it at all. (laughs) Moving on. Um, Moving
1: on. All right. John, a different John, writes... uh, Hi, Dave and John. I listened to the most recent podcast, and a fellow had a problem with his neighbor's computer showing up in the sidebar. You and John talked for a bit about phantom connections and how to turn off Bonjour, etc. But maybe, just maybe, I have a simpler explanation. As you pointed out, if he's seeing his neighbor's computer, then they are on the same subnet, so the real question is, how is this possible? He said he used MAC address filtering, which should prevent his neighbors from getting on his wireless hotspot. My guess at what is happening is that he's getting on his neighbor's hotspot. Instead of connecting to his own, as he thinks he is, the computer has jumped to the first open one, which is his neighbor's. Perhaps he has mistyped his Mac address into his router and can't connect, so his computer is looking for another hotspot and finding the neighbor's. Just a thought. And I think we had an audio comment about this, too. Uh, But, you know, that, that computer downstairs went to sleep again, John. It drives mm. me crazy. It, it, you know, I have problems. They don't want to sleep when they're supposed to sleep. And then when they are supposed to sleep, they don't. And they, I, it's driving me crazy. It's driving me crazy. But it will wake up. And I'm going to talk mm-hmm. until it does, because I am determined to play this comment now. All right, there it is. It's coming. <laughs> so you have any special plans for your birthday there, John?
0: Nope. <clears throat> Make some well, up. Well, well, we're we're probably going to go out. Um, there's a, a local uh, Japanese uh, steakhouse. Okay. Cool. So always oh, it's fun with the hibachi and the the chef doing the. Uh, oh yeah,
1: yeah. He'll flip the mushroom up into your mouth, right? He'll do that for you. He may. Yeah. He may. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is? Uh, we have a, another listener here that had something to say.
2: Hey, guys, I was listening to uh, this week's podcast about the guy who had a network and had a MAC address and no SSID set up. Well, my theory is he's using someone else's network and he doesn't realize it. And he can test it by turning off his router and see if he still gets on and still sees those other computers out there. I doubt anyone's as smart and uh, an evil as you think they may be. All right, thanks, guys. Bye.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I, uh,
0: so, do you have any thoughts here, John? Now that we've finally gotten these questions uh, out of the way, about the smart or the Eva? Oh, of course. So I have thoughts here. So the first thought is, um, at least on on the latest OS here, if you go to your uh, system Preferences, Network, and then you go to... Um, you'll see on the left there are all the different connections. Airport, there's a, a box there that I think may be important and, and is very timely for what we're talking about here, which is Ask to Join New Networks. Okay. And I'm not sure what that's set to. Uh, I believe it's off by default. Though, the, No, the I, I, say I, I, I would... It. I'm pretty sure it's on by default, actually. Okay, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. If it's off, then you could... Just based on what it's saying, it's doing. You could inadvertently hop onto uh, an unknown network. Good point. Good point. The other thing is in the advanced button. So if you're in that same pane there and you click on advanced, there's also a checkbox. If if you're on the airport sub tab on the left there, that says remember any network this computer has joined. Now normally you probably, for the sake of convenience, want that checked. You may want to uncheck that. Hmm. Because if that's checked, then anything is, so you see the combination of the two boxes here they kind of impact one another they do so basically if you if you had at any point in time, depending on how the boxes are checked connected to an unknown base, then you always will and you may not know it though well you should well let me think about this because sometimes when you connect the the icon on the top there will scroll the name of it i don't know if it always I,
1: I think does it usually that. does, but again you you know that's something you may, you, you may
0: a, not notice yeah no i'm pretty sure it always does and you have no control over that so there are a few suggestions there from the you know built-in apple networking and things happening that you may not know about um topic i like that yeah now now yeah so
1: so that's not a bad thing especially if you've got a computer that you do bring around with you or it, well it, in two cases right if you've got a, a computer that like an iMac let's say that's connecting wirelessly you probably want to uncheck the remember any network this computer has joined and then manually add your one home network to the preferred networks list. Right. Uh, and and then, you know, what you do in the advanced tab or in the advanced section airport tab with the, the little plus and minus buttons you can add and remove right. from your preferred networks.
0: Well, good point. Actually, yeah. From in theory, everything you ever connected to is going to be in that thing. And, it, it, it you know, be. it's kind of hidden a little bit. So. Yeah, that you bring up a good good follow up there. That you know, yeah. look there. Just to make sure you know what you're connected to. Because I, I found sometimes you know, yeah, I've been traveling. I may have had it in a, in a you know a certain state, and I'll see all these base stations where I haven't connected to them in years. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's because that thing is
1: checked, and it's just adding them all to the preferred list. So, uh, but what might have happened is you know, if this fella had taken his laptop out somewhere else and connected to a base station named, say, for example, Lynxis, then comes home. Well, if Linksys happens to be above in this list, if Linksys is listed above the network that he has at home, well, then it's going to join Linksys first if it finds it. Now, it's possible, as as our, our listeners have, have noted here, uh, that one of the neighbors might have a base station, say, named Linksys. So it wouldn't have even asked him to join because that same name was already in his list because Linksys is a default name for all Linksys base stations. So as as one word of caution uh one very minor
0: layer of security change the name of your base station to anything other than the default right right because i think also when it connects it, it'll bring up if if the uh mode of security is different because that's another parameter in right. that same uh box there right yep i like it
1: all right cool uh so we had one uh one other Uh, interesting comment about this this topic of shared machines magically appearing here ah yes and it comes from connor and he says i just listened to mac geekab 148 and wanted to respond to david's question about the other computers appearing in the sidebar you told him how to fix the problem or perhaps now we've told him how to fix the problem uh but if it is the shadows of old computers there is a way to rebuild the sidebar and it's found in my and many podcasters favorite cleaning tool onyx and i would i would uh join in that list i love onyx o-n-y capital x i have included a sketch screen sc- screenshot and of course you folks can't see the screenshot maybe i'll send it to michael uh to see if he can uh, uh put it in the aac here but the screenshot essentially is in the maintenance tab of onyx under rebuild the third thing down in the current version of onyx says sidebar of finder windows so you check that box you hit execute and bam uh, onyx will will flush that cash and that that may actually be very helpful and if in fact it's just uh if it's not the neighbor's computers if it's just ghost computers uh living out there so that i think that i think that puts that issue to bed right john
0: well you know i think i have one thing did did, did (laughs) we talk about how to how to kind of hide your machine from the forces of evil uh uh hiding well no let's talk about that well a little bit here and i i I think the the question by Mr. X there, the audio comment hinted at this, but you know how do you, or I think I just thought about it. How do you prevent this? So, so yeah, actually, I may go back a bit. How do you prevent these ghost machines? One way you, as the owner of a machine, can prevent your machine. Now this warning, this could cause problems with certain applications that expect your Mac to act in a certain way. But if you go to System Preferences. Uh, security firewall advanced there is a checkbox enable stealth mode what is stealth mode you ask well if you go to Apple help they basically describe it as a way to pretty much tell your machine not to respond to certain things like a ping which is a low level ICMP request um, certain you know or closed ports um, and also from at least what the help says is uh, ARP address resolution protocol and bonjour and other things. So if you're in stealth mode, you may not. And I'll have to try this on my local network. I haven't tried it. I don't know if you've tried it, Dave. But I think if you go in stealth mode, it may lessen your chance of magically showing up in everybody's uh, network browser.
1: Uh, I guess that would make sense because, as we discussed, uh, bonjour isn't a a magic Apple protocol. It's just a a, zero conf. It's a very Uh, It's a standard protocol where people are pinging the essentially the broadcast address or something like it uh, and all getting their machines. So if your machine's not responding to those requests, then you won't magically appear there. I think that's right.
0: Mm -hmm. And the other thing in that box, which is kind of cool if you're into it, but it's also enable firewall logging, which will tell you Mm. in a log file. And there's a button there. Open log will show you in theory um, people that are trying to beat up on your Mac over the network.
1: All right, uh let's uh, are we ready to uh, to move on here, John? Yes, sir. Okay, so we've got syncing to talk about, but first actually, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Barebones Software at barebones.com, and their Yojimbo product, which is actually something I was just using here. I had the printed the PDF of the email that uh, that Connor had written and had that PDF sitting in Yojimbo and was simply able to drag it right out of Yojimbo to a mail message. Uh, and 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 send that to Michael uh, so he could put the uh, the screenshot in the AAC feed. Yojimbo allows you to store collections of notes, all different kinds of things. And I use it uh, for a lot of things, including prepping the show, have everything in a Yojimbo group. And the cool thing that I use is that it syncs with Dot .Mac. So I do it all on my MacBook Pro. I come up here to the studio, launch Yojimbo and bam, all the latest stuff right there, right as I left it on my MacBook Pro. So, Uh, and that's all done with dot max syncing yo jimbo from Barebones software and uh you know i I didn't have my notes right in front of me here but i'm pretty sure it's 39 bucks or 39.99 and i'm looking that up right now for all of you uh yo jimbo at barebones.com how come i can't find it there it is yeah 39 bucks i had it right okay uh moving right along to michael and syncing two dock folders, here we, uh, here we go.
3: Hey, John and Dave. This is Michael in New York City. Love your podcast. Been listening for a long time. Uh, I've got a question for you, and I, you've talked a lot about syncing, but I don't know. Maybe I haven't paid close enough attention, but here's my story. I uh, now find myself splitting time between two residences. I have an iBook G4 in one place and a new Mac book in the other place. And I also have a .Mac account. And I would like, actually, for the two machines to have basically identical information on them. Um, the the document folder and the desktop folder and whatever might get changed on one. I'd love for it to show up changed on the other one. Is there a way to do that? Do I have to go through .Mac? Do I have to upload my entire, a copy of my document folder all to... to uh, dot Mac, or is there a way to sync between two machines so that it just happens in the background? Anything I change on one machine gets changed on the other, and vice versa. Uh, let me know; I'd love to um, love to set that up. Uh, also, just wanted to let you know that uh, based on your recommendations, I picked up a pair of uh, A5 desktop speakers, and um, the sound is just wonderful—really, really great sound. I have to say though, uh, for New York City, I wouldn't really call them desktop speakers because uh, my desk is not big enough to hold those two and anything else. Um, but I actually bought them to put on a uh, on
1: a bookcase, so they work totally fine for me.
3: Anyway, love the show. Thanks very much. Here comes my email address.
1: And that's where we'll cut you off. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, glad you like the A5s. Of course, if you want something smaller, they have those A2s as well. Uh, okay, so it's about syncing two doc folders. It, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, just talking about the syncing thing, because I do that too. Obviously, I want all my documents wherever I am. And that means my MacBook Pro, which goes with me on the road or is in my office, the iMac here in the studio, of course, the, uh, the G4 over at the house. That used to be the G4 in the studio for those of you playing along at home. Uh, and, and so I do exactly this. I use iDisk and I created a folder inside my documents folder on my iDisk. So you go to your iDisk, you click on documents, you go there. I created a folder and I copied everything in my, you know, I called it uh, Dave's sync documents or something, copied everything, including all the folders, everything It was, you know, four gigs or something up to my iDisk. Then I went into system preferences dot Mac iDisk and turned on uh, iDisk syncing and I set it to update. I started it and updated it automatically. And so now and I did that on all my computers, obviously, the first sync was Time wise, painful. It took a long time to upload everything uh, and then obviously a long time to download uh, to the the other machines. But once I did that, that, you know, the incrementals are really incidental. I don't even notice it happening. And uh, my documents are just everywhere. And it works really well. What I did is I have a bunch of subfolders that I kind of live in, John. You know, one one for, say, GeekGab, one from TMO, one for Backbeat, one for Deals on the Web. And uh, and so I, I used to have those in my in my sidebar and they were shortcuts essentially to folders in my documents folder. Well, now I just have those same shortcuts,
0: but they're shortcuts to my iDisk. So uh, it works okay. great. To, to be clear, though, the documents folder on your iDisk does not have anything to do with the documents folder on your local machine. Exactly. OK, just That's want to right. be clear because it, it, it's a it could be confusing. Right. Because you're also mentioning bookmarks and I'm sorry, shortcuts, Shortcuts. depending how you do that. Yep. But anyways, okay, so you are creating an alias to this shared disk. And as long as everybody is in a place where they're on the network, then you're cool.
1: Well, now here's the thing. It it actually creates a local disk image of your iDisk. (laughs) Okay, so it's not reading and writing directly to the network once you turn on syncing. If you don't turn on syncing, then it is reading and writing to the network, and you better have a... Well, it doesn't matter how fast your connection is, because .max computers are pretty slow. So I wouldn't recommend doing that with anything but a couple of documents, and even then, you'll probably notice it being slow. But yeah, so I've got a shared copy here, and that's important. If I happen to edit one file here before it syncs that up and then edit that same file somewhere else which has never ha- well i guess it has happened the uh dot mac or i sync will throw up a a dialog and say okay look both of these files have changed uh which one you know which one is the master and and you pick one and and off you go so it's got a conflict resolver you know built into it but uh if if you if you're doing it for one person essentially like michael uh, describes then it's, I don't think it's much of an issue, right? I mean, he's driving back and forth. Chances are, by the time he gets there, he fires it up, it syncs back the changes, and he's good to go. So uh, it, he also mentioned syncing the desktop folder. I guess you could do that, but that would require some tricky aliases and may not be foolproof. So uh, your mileage may vary on that one. Mm-hmm. We ready to move on here, John? Move on, bro. All right. So Locomo writes... Uh, I have two Macs, a PowerBook G4 and an Intel iMac second generation. What I'm wanting to do is find a program that will merge all the data on all of them and put a copy on both. So if I make a text file on my iMac, it will also get put on the PowerBook. I want it to work like iDisk Merge Sync. Both are running Leopard. Any ideas? So essentially, he wants to do what we just discussed without buying .Mac. My first, honestly, my first uh, thought would be just look, buy .Mac and and be done with it but there are other pieces of software out there that will do this Uh, yes yeah Uh,
0: you want to talk about the hard way to do it first though John (laughs) What do you mean the hard way? well we'll talk the hardware in the easy way so well it comes from the same source so um, I found a web page that was talking about the hard ways and this came from our friends let me get my note here Um, uh, let me see. Bombitch, uh, yes, who makes Carbon Copy Cloner. Right. And this is a program I love. I think, Dave, you've used it a lot or you, you use something similar, but it's uh, just a great utility. But apparently, underneath the covers here, at least in the latest version, it has a version of rsync underneath. But they also have an article that they link to saying, okay, if you really want to get down and dirty, and I, I give them credit for saying, you know, if you want to go on your own here and try to really geek out and back up your machine without paying us for our software or contributing. Here's the ways to do it. And they mentioned some utilities here, Dave. I think you've used some of these, but um, they have a section on the page. We're definitely going to link to it. Cloning a disk or backing up your drive with Ditto, rsync, sync HDI, Util, and ASR. All are various low-level command line things. I think most are included with the OS, or you can get them with a package manager. I, I believe um,
1: they all are.
0: Yeah, uh, so Ditto, I, Rsync all the yeah, because I got man pages on a few of them. I didn't try all of them, but yeah, so they're all part of the OS and uh, I think Rsync is probably the most popular or yep. at least the one that I've heard of most. So I kind of gave it an easy and hard way because as far as Dave and I can tell, looking at Carbon Copy Cloner, they have updated it recently both for Leopard, and I think they've also included a level of granularity where before it was more a full volume copy thing. And, you know, the bonus is that they have a little article telling you about that. They also look to be able to get down to a lower level on the disk where you can only indicate back up these certain folders or, you know, they'll give you an option. Only copy things that have changed. Right. um, And then you select that on the remote volume and and, and it has a option in the menu scheduled tasks. So. I haven't used it, but it looks capable and, and also a bonus to them for telling, you know, the people who want to experience pain, here's how you can do it with the OS itself. But it, you got to be careful, especially when you're syncing files, because if the, the utility is not made to do it, I guess all of these are, but they, they, they give you various results. And these guys explain, all right, you can use this for a bootable backup or this and that. And uh, Dave, if you want to add on to that, because I, especially I rsync, sync, I think we something with that.
1: I I do. We use rsync uh here at at uh, Backbeat Media on our servers. We actually uh, rsync throughout the day, we rsync some of the HTML files and images over to another server so that they can be served d- differently. Uh and and rsync works really well across a network. Uh you can set up an, an SSH connection for those of you that you know, we've, we're pegging Secure. the geek meter here, yeah. But you can set up an SSH connection and an and automatic uh, key so that it automatically logs in. And you can you know automate the script with on the Linux servers and FreeBSD servers. We use Cron, but you could use Lingon in in OS 10 to to manage uh, you know all, all of that stuff. Um, the problem with rsync, and and this is the reason I like Apple's syncing better. But the problem with rsync. Is that it doesn't know what has been changed. So if you run rsync every hour or once a day, it's got to scour through all of the files on both volumes and see, okay, what's different here, and then it goes and copies the differences. And it's a fairly quick process, but it it is, you know, uh, somewhat uh, uh, it, it's, it beats up the disk a little bit, right? Because it's got to you know comb through all this stuff and 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 i believe that's true of all of these utilities including carbon copy cloner like john mentioned and there is a way from what we found uh to tell carbon copy cloner look only do these folders with super duper you can do that but you you tell it copy the disk and then exclude these folders but it still scours through them to make sure that they're in the exclusion list so it, it's not the most efficient thing right uh and and then there's there's some other stuff out here uh chronosync which which will do it it's it's a for pay uh, your utility file synchronization and we'll link to all these synchronized 10 is another one from qdia Uh, but what idisc and time machine uh, take advantage of is and i'm pretty sure idisc syncing does this based on how quickly it's able to uh, to get the sync started it takes advantage of something called fs events and what that is is it's a core os component Within OS 10, and it's I think it's new in Leopard or at least enhanced in Leopard, where it you tell it, okay, look, uh, watch this folder for me, and then the next time I ask you about it, go ahead and tell me everything that's changed, and and that way the OS is doing it for you, and then it just gives you a list, and that's how Time Machine does its magic, and pretty sure that's how uh, iDisk syncing does its magic, well, when it's you know when it's local. So in that sense, it's a whole lot more efficient. Uh, and and it doesn't beat on your uh, on your disk as much. So so that that's my uh, that's my thought. If someone out there, I, I am uh, I uh, at times have been registered as an Apple developer. I am not uh that level of developers. So if I've gotten this wrong, I know we've got quite a few uh, programmers out here. Maybe we can have one of you come on the show and
0: and uh, and talk to us about it. I'd, I'd love to do that. We would we would absolutely. Welcome yeah, it. yeah, I found a little bit on this. It sounds cool. Uh, FS, I think, is file system, mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. And apparently Bios, oh, remember Bios? I do. Apparently Bios, uh, which was, a, you know, a spinoff from a former Apple employee. Um, yeah, but that had a lot of, oh, you know, it could have been a contender, but we got next step instead, yeah. which is not a bad thing. No, no, no it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. But Bios would have been a good number two, but uh, but apparently that was that was something, I'm just looking at a quick article here, that was introduced in... in uh, Yeah. So uh,
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. You know, I, um, I I was at a Cirque du Soleil show in Austin. I may have relayed this story before, but, uh, and, and I just happened to be sitting right behind the, uh, the sound and light board and I looked, there was like a little computer down there and, uh, the guy running the computer, uh, (laughs) You know, I looked, I'm like, that looks like BIOS. And so at the little set break, I tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, are you running BIOS down there? And he says, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got a great MIDI sequencer. And that's what we use to, you know, to help sequence all of the, the lights and stuff. And he says, that's what it was written in years ago. And, uh, and we still run it today. It, you know, it worked totally fine. There's, you know, no complaints, no, uh, no problems at all. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. This is awesome. So uh, that's, uh, that's BIOS for you. Um, Yeah. All right. So are we we, uh, we ready to move on to to Mickey's question here, John? Go, go.
2: John and Dave, this is Mickey Paplon from the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast. Hey, love your show. Uh, I do have a question for you. I have been using a MacBook Pro for almost uh, a year now, and I love it for podcasting and for audio editing. Everything works really, really well with it. Just recently picked up one of the 1 terabyte time capsules, and it's as well working uh, great for me. My question is, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and so I'm constantly syncing my iPod and uh, um, so one thing that I'd like to be able to do, now that I've got the time capsule, I don't have to have all my external uh, external hard drives plugged into it because they're all uh, done through the time capsule. But I always have to plug in uh, one of my USB hubs in order to sync the iPod. Is there a way to get the thing syncing uh, over uh, by having it plugged into the time capsule in a, uh, a USB hub that's plugged into that? So basically, I'd like to be able to somehow sync Uh, the iPod uh, over the air where it's not even touching uh, the MacBook Pro don't know if it's possible but just thought I'd throw that out there love the show thanks guys
1: okay so uh, the time capsule will let you attach a drive John right and uh, and then you can see that drive from from your computer depending on how you configure things now mm-hmm. we all know the iPod can effectively act as a hard drive, and, and in a way that's how it works when it syncs. Right, it, 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 iTunes is just copying files over to the iPod's hard drive where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if you mount the iPod on the on the network and the uh, and the computer can see it, will it realize that it's an iPod and sync to it? Mm-hmm. I would I would uh, if I was a betting man, I would say no, and and it's because it. I think it's reading more from the device. I think the USB connection uh, allows it to, and it takes advantage of being able to read more data. Uh, the type of iPod it is, the serial number, all that stuff. I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that's going to work. Um, I, I think it's it's very much a USB uh, connectivity thing. What are, what are your thoughts on this, John? I
0: don't, I don't know so much USB, but I think iTunes. There are things if you've gotten a utility. I don't have any up top of my head, but but when I have used them, there are you know hidden directories with databases and stuff on the device itself. Now, if if you could whip up a utility that you know could read all of that stuff, then then maybe you'd be in good shape. Now, I did find uh, something, uh, Sanzia, I guess it is, here. It makes something called syncopation, which supposedly will. I just found it when searching, but it will synchronize your uh, music libraries. I don't think that's quite what we're looking for here. What we're talking yeah. about is something you would expect a device to do. Well, I put my music on here and then I plug in my music device and it sucks the music out. Well, you know, we're not there yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice. You know, there there have been uh, I've never seen a production version and, and I won't mention the company's names, but but there have been devices, uh, prototypes of devices that will sync your ipod over a bluetooth connection uh and i've seen that work but uh but it requires some some driver software and and some some various things and and obviously it doesn't it doesn't exist in in so much as any of us can use it i don't have one uh and it's not for sale but uh you know and i don't know how much of that apple has has kind of worked to to quash but uh -hmm. i don't know i don't know secure maybe
0: not quash but (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) Well, either are. But yeah, I I think they're they're not. I mean, I know they have some form of SDK for iTunes, but it's not it doesn't get you at the level where you can just whip up a synchronization utility easily. Right. Not easily. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, All right. We do have actually one other sponsor to uh, mention in tonight's show, and that sponsor is Audible. And uh, and I I wanted to take this one, John, because I found out today that I'm pretty sure Audible will not be renewing with us in May. Uh, and that's simply uh, they, they track wh- whether whether this is the right way to do things with podcast advertising or not. They, they've they been very, very successful uh, by tracking the number of conversions that they get. And we were we weren't the first podcast that Audible was on board with, but we were one of I think one of the first five, maybe even the second And so they've been here a while and most of our listeners who have been interested in audible have uh, have converted and then things have kind of slowed down. What that means, though, is you've only got a couple of weeks left to take advantage of the free book offer from us. Uh, you know, frankly, there's other podcasts out there. You could go find the free book offer if you're listening to this after May 1st. But, uh, but and and that, and this may change. They may they may re up anyway. But uh, I just heard you know wind of this this morning that uh, Geek Gab was not on the uh, mm. on the renewal list, which is fine. It, it's you know it, it's it's uh, it is what it is. Things take time, and there's market cycles and all that good stuff. So uh, the uh, the the book that uh, that that I picked tonight is actually a book I've just finished reading. A book called Memorial Day by Vince Flynn. Now, this is one of these, you know, I like uh, I like a good conspiracy. I, I like a kind of an action novel stuff that I read while I'm traveling that just kind of I can dive into and uh, sort of shut the world out if I'm on an airplane or, you know, board in the hotel room at night or, or whatever it is. And, and so this one is about uh, kind of a CIA ish thing. And I'll, I'll play a little bit of it here. I think it's going to work, John. I, I have I have faith. Go. All right. So the uh, playing it back is not going to work. In fact, it caused all sorts of uh, technical problems that have nothing to do with Audible and everything to do with FireWire audio not working quite right in Leopard, especially with uh, this Behringer FireWire audio interface. I think it uses some chipset that Apple doesn't like, and there's quite a few of them out there. M-Audio's got one, too in any event audible you can get this book Memorial Day for free by going to audiblepodcast.com slash macgeekgab and you can do that for the next couple of weeks here uh until may 1st unless of course they continue which they uh they may do they've uh you know they 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 haven't uh finally finalized their thing and of course they may come back but uh it's been a pleasure having them and uh we wish them well so audible. com slash macgeekgab are we uh are we ready to go on to uh, ben's question here because this stuff gets interesting john i'm ready all right and of course you know the technical issues keep presenting themselves we got to figure something else out maybe uh maybe this is the the thing that will convince me to use ubercaster having consistently having all these problems with firewire audio though i'm not sure ubercaster is going to fix them all right ben go
2: Hi John and Dave, this is Ben from Bend, Oregon and is calling with a question out of your show 145 uh, where you're going through the different Apple hardware. Uh, your new Apple TV that you had given a try and in that you said that you were able to start watching your movies in just a minute or two. Uh, I just got an Apple TV, got home uh, the night that it was delivered, got it set up in just a few minutes and was excited to download my first movie and watch. and. Lo and behold, when I clicked uh, rent the movie, it said my movie would be available in about three hours. Uh, Not on dial-up, if that's (laughs) what you're thinking. Uh, I have a three megabyte per second uh, DSL line here at the house and was wondering if there's any way that I can speed that up. This is where you cut me off.
0: It is where we cut you off. All right, uh, John, you want to take this? Now, did he say megabit or megabyte? I I, I don't know. But anyway, it's so, gonna be three megabits
1: is, is what his
0: connection yeah, is gonna that's be. I, okay. So where you gotta go to get this info is uh pretty straightforward. Um Apple.com slash Apple TV slash specs. And they have a nice little section here towards the, the, the middle or the bottom of the page. It says movie rentals, which is a good guideline here. And they're talking about broadband speed, wait time to start movie, which I think is what we're talking about here. Yeah. And well, first off, they have footnote 9 for that, which is odd, saying estimated start time based on 90-minute movie and a sustained uh, – make note of that – sustained internet connection speeds. Times vary based on movie length, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, the, the times they give, depending on the connection that you have, can range from – so for a standard deaf movie, the times can range from 30 seconds to one and a half hours before you can start watching the movie. And for high deaf, it gets even more interesting, one minute to eight hours. So – I think the key here is the sustained speed that you're getting, along with all the other stuff that you may be doing, um, yeah. could severely impact, it, as Apple points out, uh, fairly, I think, because a lot of places I think DSL is less prone to speed variations than cable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about the your pipe and maybe their pipe, you know, if they're overloaded, but... Uh, the experience Dave and I both had was that it started within seconds, but then I think we're in areas that have pretty snappy connections. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at the chart here. Let's assume that uh, that Ben rented a high def movie and that would mean that his, uh, if you look at the chart, the broadband speed, if it was a two megabit connection, it says it would start in about two hours. Uh, It's a Mm. three, he has a three megabit connection. So, you know, an hour and a half sounds about right. The good news there is it means that Ben is getting full speed from his uh, DSL modem all the way to his Apple TV. It's possible, you know, I've got an eight megabit connection here that's burstable, but eight megabits is faster than the minimums or the six that Apple says is required to start playing immediately. Uh, but, you know, if it's connected wirelessly, it's possible that your wireless network, you know, the farther you get from a wireless device, the worse the connection speed's going to be. And this is one of those cases where that really matters. Uh, so, you know, you got to you got to watch that. Uh, even if you've got a big and I think, John, you've got what, 15 megabit uh, downstream on your cable modem. Up to up to. OK. And uh, but if you know, if you've got. Your Apple TV on the other side of a metal wall or something, you're probably not going to get all 15 megabits to that thing. You'd be lucky to get five. And, and that's where this stuff can get in, uh, get in the
0: way, too. Right. And of course, how can you tell? Well, one thing is to go to activity monitor and look at the uh, network uh, tab, no. which shows you data received, data sent, all all that fun stuff. But yeah, but that's not going to help him with his Apple TV.
1: Right. Because the Apple TV is talking directly to Apple servers. It's not going via Ooh. your Mac. Right. So I, I actually run a utility here called uh, MRTG, which allows me to create graphs of my network usage uh, based on an SNMP poll of my router. Now, you can do this with the airport base station and there may even be utilities built to do it with the airport base station. But. You can run uh, mrtg on a on a Mac. I'm doing it here, and it pulls little graphs, and it's kind of cool. You can see that you know the router's just
0: totally sustained when that movie's coming in on the Apple TV. So how could you? So yeah. So I guess the Apple TV doesn't have any sort of like SNMP or it might, but definitely your
1: base station does. I mean, even the airport base stations have a, a way of pulling data via SNMP, and I'm pretty sure you can run mrtg. Uh, it's a freeware Unix utility. I, I have it running from the command line on uh, on an old G3 that I have downstairs that runs as our filemaker server, and uh, and it works great. You know, it builds these little graphs. Mm-hmm. But but I'm sure there's other ways to do it too. In fact that that's probably not a bad uh, that's probably not a bad show. In fact, you you're running an airport router as your main router now, right, John? Your Time Capsule. Mm-hmm. Alright, well then 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 uh then let's let's look into this. I'll 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 research some stuff. You research some stuff and maybe next week we'll we will talk look about at it. There. Cool. All right, uh let's go on to Gary here while we've still got that computer awake downstairs.
2: Hey, John and Dave. Gary in Santa Monica I had a question for you. I'm going to be uh, installing an Xserve and uh, relocating some switches that are in our uh, network room, and I would like to wire or label the wires wonder if there's an easy way to figure out which wire is connected to which computer Uh, I've thought about turning off each computer and turning it back on and having somebody see which light turns off on the switch uh, to locate it but I was wondering if there was some software out there that would send out a signal to the switch that that would cause the uh, light to start blinking, uh, allowing you to identify which computer was on each port. Uh, Love the show,
0: yeah, that's interesting. Okay, you you want to take
1: a stab at this, John?
0: I'm going to take a purely obvious kind of physical approach, which is to label the cable on both sides. Okay. <laughs> Am I missing something here? <laughs> well, it, but maybe the cables are running through the wall, right? Uh they could be. So, so in one case, actually, at a low level, you could get a. a they have these uh, tools, cable buzzers, yep. right? On an electrical level, you put something on one side of the cable, and I think Radio Shack and other people have these. So here's one way to do it that has nothing to do with networking. It's really boring. It's electrical engineering. It's simple stuff. But you get one of these kits. You put something on one side of the cable. You go into the cable room. You probably, if you get a walkie-talkie and a friend, you could probably knock this out in a good short time. Um, But just hook up this thing on one side. Put, you know, the... Counterpart on the other side, and there you go, you buzz it out. And actually, it helps you because I think some of these testers will verify that the cable, you know, can operate at the frequency needed right. for, um, you know, the certain. Because as you get higher speed, the cable has to be of higher quality to handle the higher frequency uh, signal coming through it, at least for hardwire. So, at a purely physical level, that will be my one suggestion. And then All I will right. hand it off to you. Okay. Well, uh, for a little geekier one.
1: Yeah, I'll get a little geekier, and then I think you're going to take it to the next level. I'm going to assume, uh, for, for my proposed solution, that uh, Ben's switches are dumb switches. And I think, John, you've got some thoughts about not dumb switches. So I'll, I'll stay away from those. Yeah. Uh, so the my idea is. Yeah, there is a utility that'll make the network light blink. In fact, any activity typically will make the network light blink or at least the activity light blink. So you need to be sure that none of your computers are doing anything or at least none of the plugged in computers are doing anything. And then what you do is you go to each one and at the terminal, you type ping and pick an address that will not answer. So, uh, you know, the the best thing to pick would be uh, an address on another network another closed network so let's say uh, if your ip address is uh you know one of the non-routable group let's say it's 192.168.1.1 if that's your ip address don't pick an ip in 192.168.1 because chances are there's something that might answer pick one of the other realms like uh 10.0.1.1 right if you're in 192 10 will not answer because it's a non-routable uh, uh range so Go to, your, go to the terminal, type ping space 10.0.2.1, and hit enter. And then that will do uh, 10 blips on the uh, – I think it does. No, actually, it, it won't stop. So it'll just keep blipping until you hit control C to stop it, I think, is how, how ping works uh, by default on OS X. And so you type ping and then go to the, uh, the, the switch and look for the one that's every second flashing quickly, just a little blip. That's the one. Then go to, from one computer to another. And obviously stop each one once you figure it out and control C will stop that from the command prompt. So that's my uh, somewhat technological. Well, it's a technological solution, but it's, you know, the old Band-Aid Dave solution. Fix it, find it, solve it, move on. So you have a—you have one better than me, don't you, John? Bah! <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, I'm going to offer a, a slightly higher level than I was looking at my trustee. Time capsule here. And it has a a feature that is very cleverly and annoyingly hidden. But here's another feature is that depending on the network hardware you have, it may know the MAC address of things connected to it. And so, for example, in the case of the time capsule, it's really, really not terribly obvious. But because in my case, I have mine both wired and wireless. If you go, they have a screen here. Now, let me try to get it summary. And I think if we go to wireless clients. Okay, we get a wireless client screen. There may be another way to get to this, but that has a tab next to it, DHCP clients. If you click on that, it shows from what I can see here, both my wired and wireless DHCP clients. And it but does shows it tell you Mac what ports
1: does it tell you what port they're
0: plugged into? No, but it tells me the MAC address, which is good enough.
1: Yeah, but he wants to know what well,
0: port... Well, it, okay, it's a start.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but I, you're, you're heading down the right path, right? Because there are switches, and, and it depends on, on what you're doing there. But as we mentioned before, uh, there are switches that, that are what are called managed or smart switches, where you can log in right. typically with a web interface. They get their own IP. You log in with a web interface, and then you can manage all this stuff and see a list of all the computers that are connected typically, yeah. like you said, by Mac address.
0: So... You know, I'm betting buried in this, and actually, I'll have to find this. I, I found one utility when I was poking around the other day, just to see what new software is out there that will let you manage the. Uh, is it NAT PNP? Uh, whatever kind of offbeat thing Apple yeah. supports, but it lets you go to them and and do the NAT routing or, or the. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, the NAT replacement. So, so I think it conforms at some level. But so, in my case, the thing is, I only have one wired device. <laughs> Oh, right. Exactly. So I can tell. So, yeah, you, you know, you could do that. Plug in one device, plug in the other device, see what's in the table. But but I guess what, I, what I'm hinting at is depending on the capability of the device. So Apple kind of balances between, you know, hiding these little nuggets of joy here and then. Telling you nothing. Right. Same thing with the Linksys. I think the Linksys, especially with open source firmware, if you flashed it with open source stuff and you poked around the right place, you would get not at the port level, and I think that that that's where I think you're going with this. A lot of the devices are kind of dumb in that respect. They'll tell yeah. you the IP and the MAC address, but you gotta figure what so you may have to do the plug-in one device, look at the MAC address, okay, got it. Next. Mm. You know, that and that or, that's only if you're running a
1: router right i mean he's he's talking yeah. about a switch so but even still if he's got you know in, in, depending on the setup he might have a managed switch and it'll give him that sort of information
0: yeah i still even though it's not geeky i think the the electrical approach with the uh you know cable <laughs> buzzer which includes just testing that the cable is is you know hasn't been chewed by whatever form of wildlife you have in your neighborhood yep. um you know, because I I've seen one or two every now and then a bad cable or a bad port on a on a switch or hub or whatever networking hardware. It happens. Oh know? well, Even I was your, your uh and stuff.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got network. Uh, my office is wired and all the cables come into the basement. Oh, well, you of the got office. the outdoor option. Well, right? I've got that. Yeah, that You're one's actually tube fine. Outside, right? Yeah, that one's running fine. That one does you know nine ninety three uh, of a gigabit you know connection. Nine ninety three out of a thousand is what I was able to test mm. that to. So it's smoking, but. Nice. Uh, I, yeah, so I've got five network drops in my office downstairs, and they all run into the basement. So you put a switch in the basement, and everything's fine. And there was one, actually, there were two that didn't work. And one of them, I started yanking it through the wall because there was some, you know, slack cable in the basement, and I found a spot that I, I'm pretty sure it had been chewed. You know, uh, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's you know we live in the woods here. We get mice and all that stuff, so it's possible it was a mouse. And uh, so I just cut the cable after the point that it had been chewed and, you know, attached a new uh, uh, jack to it and it works fine. And there was another one that wasn't working and I started yanking on it thinking, OK, you know, I'll do the same thing. And I yanked and yanked and wound up with a frayed end of cable and was like, huh, oh, well, that's <laughs> that. <laughs> There's no string on it or anything, so there was no way to pull another cable through. So that drop is mm-hmm. now officially dead. So, yeah, that's how it works. I think it's uh We've been through uh, we've been through a lot in this show, John. It was so <sighs> cathartic in a way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we may try Ubercaster next week because I'm not sure. You know, I I'm not sure if it's this FireWire device or or the way I'm doing things in audio hijack with buffers. I I reset all the buffers and it's been okay since then. But it's been uh, it's been a chore here, so I'm uh, I'm happy to uh, to explore another option. Yeah. And Ubercaster just added uh, new Skype support, so they say it uh, it might work all right. Okay, uh, so we got a couple things to go through here. Of course, Michael Johnston uh, has converted this to AAC for you, and he is of iPhone Alley fame, and he just started his first podcast, which you can subscribe to. And I'm sure he knows the link to put Get into the AAC. Out. Yeah, and uh, he actually asked me to uh, to come on at points, so I would I I, I look forward to that. Uh, right. Cashfly, of course, is the place that you've downloaded this show from. They they provide all the bandwidth podcast marketplace includes uh, yo Jimbo from barebone software as we mentioned the a5 and a2 desktop speakers from audio engine the one free download from audible for the remainder of this month at least and maybe next month but probably not at audiblepodcast.com slash Mac geek gab and PDF pen from smile on my Mac and of course harman e com, and uh, I think that's it we can we can go right
0: John Well, how do you? 206-666 geek. Which is 4335. That's right. Feedback at
1: MacGeekGab.com. Send in questions. We've got a pile, but we want more. It's like food to us. Feed B Seymour And don't get caught.
2: May